In the sermon today, I'm going to give you what would be called a job description for angels. I'm sure that when God created angels, he informed them of how they were to serve, not only God, but to us, serve us, they eventually learned. And uh, so we're going to talk about five particular areas where angels serve. And uh, I'm sure there are more, but this is, should give us a good understanding here. So a job description for angels, point number one, angels were created by God to bring messages from God to us. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 1 and beginning in verse 11. Now, the name angel comes from a Greek word, angelos, which means messenger. So that's why they're called angels, because one of their primary jobs and responsibilities is to convey messages. Luke 1, beginning in verse 11, we read the story not too long ago when we discussed the birth of Jesus Christ that uh, just before Jesus was born, there was another individual by the name of John the Baptist that was born, and he was to be, to be the forerunner of Jesus. He was to prepare the way for the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we see here that one of the first things that happened is an angel appeared to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. It says in verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Notice verse 19. The angel answered, Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. So Gabriel, one of the few names that we know of angels, and when you look at the names of angels, that last portion of the name, E-L, that's the name of God. So all the angels that we know of are named after God. Mike L, Michael, Gabriel, they all have God's name in their name. So we see one of the important responsibilities of angels. Let's look at later on in this chapter. Not only did he appear to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, but he, of course, appeared to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And he goes on to announce or provide for her the opportunity to be a part of a miracle of being the mother of the Messiah, the mother of Jesus Christ. And of course, Mary uh, agrees. And so Gabriel, again, served in the role of messenger. Turn to chapter 2, and verse 8, when Jesus was born, the good news was to be announced. And it says here, verse 8 of chapter 2, there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Could have been Gabriel again, doesn't give his name here. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host, angels, appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. So angels convey messages from God. In a sense, they explain what is happening. See, we're just human. <laughs> we're, we're learning God's plan as, as we go along, and, and, and we don't understand hardly any of God's plan. It's, it's so great and awesome and he informs us, as time goes along, what he's doing. And we need to have it explained to us, or probably we would be totally unaware of what God is doing. So he sends angels to help us to understand. Notice in Matthew chapter 28, after Jesus' death and resurrection, you know, uh, the disciples, they're just mourning the death of Jesus. They don't know what's going on, and they're confused. And uh, so it says here, Matthew 28, verse 1, Easter Sunday morning after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb of Jesus. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So you see, we don't, we don't fathom spiritually what's going on. All the things that God is doing, we need to have it interpreted for us. We need to be informed. So one of the things that God does is he sends angels to inform us. So we see one of the jobs, one of the most important jobs that angels fulfill. Now, secondly, after being messengers of God, secondly, angels protect God's people. That's another one of their important jobs. I like the verse here in Psalm 34 and verse 7. This is a very encouraging and reassuring verse in the Bible. Psalm 34, verse 7, because sometimes we tend to be fearful and worried and uh, confused about things that are going on in our lives or in the world in general. Notice what the psalm says, Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. So one of the jobs that God gives the angels is to supernaturally, don't forget, they're supernatural beings. We don't see them. We may possibly, at times when they manifest themselves, if that's their purpose, and, you know, if God gives them the purpose to do that, we may see them. Sometimes they look kind of scary, uh, like lightning or bright, you know, white, clothed in white, whatever the case may be. 
but angels are there to protect us. And if we had the eyes to see, and our physical eyes cannot see God or angels, their spirit, we can only see physical things. Sure, we can see things far away with a telescope, or we can see very small things with a microscope, but they're physical things. Spirit lives in a different dimension, and God hasn't given us the ability to see that or to really experience that. But if God gave us the eyes to see, we could see angels in this room right now, and I'm sure that there are, because they join in our worship. They are all about worship. So, in a sense, God has his angels encamping around us to protect us. So, you know, we want to set up security and cameras in our yard, which is a good thing. We can do that. Or we could have a big dog in the backyard or in the house. But we should never lose sight of the fact that God has also provided angels for us to protect us because he loves us. He knows that there's a lot of physical dangers and even spiritual dangers in this world. Uh, and he wants to take care of us. There's a real striking example back here in 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19, and in verse 35. This is a time when God's people were surrounded by invading armies who wanted to destroy them. And in this case, it was the Assyrians. Uh, so here's the army of Israel camped and surrounding them totally are the Assyrian armies. And... Uh, the armies of Israel are outnumbered. And notice what God does in this particular instance. 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 35. So God's people are praying, asking God's help, asking for God to save them. And it says here in verse 35, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185 thousand men in the Assyrian camp and in an angel one angel <laughs> killed 185,000 of the invading army when the people got up the next morning there were all the dead bodies so you can imagine Sennacherib here king of Assyria broke camp and withdrew leaving behind 185,000 of his soldiers who mysteriously died overnight. That's how powerful an angel is. God has given them that ability to be used when God determines, to follow God's orders. We read elsewhere in the Bible when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den to be put to death. The scripture mentions that an angel shut the mouths of lions when he was thrown into the lion's den so that the lions could not harm Daniel. So these angels are very powerful, but they're following God's orders. We don't pray to angels or ask angels for help. We ask God for help. <laughs> and when he dispatches angels to help us, we're thankful and appreciative. Amen. You know, one thing that you could talk about sometime if you wanted to is when you feel that God sent an angel to help you. I've shared a story with you, I think, one time. When I first became a pastor, 
my first area to serve was in West Virginia. And uh, I was an assistant pastor. And one day, the pastor gave me the uh, job of going to visit a particular member who lived way up in the mountain in West Virginia. And if those of you who have lived in West Virginia or you know, way down south in Ohio, you know that the hills can get pretty high. Uh, some people would call them hills, I call them mountains. So this gentleman lived way up on the top of a mountain. And it was springtime, probably about February or March. I had to go up there and visit him and pray for him. So I had a real good car, pretty new car. So I started up the hill and it went from a paved road to a dirt road to kind of a gravel road. And the higher I got up, it was a pretty cold day, the colder it got. And it was just a very narrow road, pretty much a one lane road going up the hill, winding up the hill. So I got higher and higher and all of a sudden I started to, started to hit ice. And uh, I started to panic a little bit, tried to avoid the ice as I went higher and higher. And uh, finally I got to the point where my wheels were spinning going up this mountain because it was sheer ice. And I started to worry because uh, it was just a dirt gravel road, a very windy road, and on one side of the road was more hill, and on this side of the road went down pretty sharply, <laughs> probably about 50 yards, and it was filled with trees on the hill and so on. So here I am, no other traffic, I'm alone here, and uh, I'm stuck. I can't go forward, and I can surely go backward, but I had my foot on the brake, and I didn't know what to do. So uh, I finally took it out of gear, put my foot on the brake, and I thought if I just kind of roll backwards, you know, and controlling it, and uh, with the brake, uh, maybe I can find some place to turn around. So I took it out of gear, took my foot off the brake, and started to roll backwards, and I started to pick up speed on the ice going backwards. And I started to use the brake to, to slow myself down, and all of a sudden the brake didn't work anymore. It wasn't slowing the car down. And I was just skidding backwards. And I kept looking over here, and there's this cliff going down about 50 yards. And what could you do? I said, Lord, help me. And I grabbed the steering wheel and closed my eyes, expecting to just go over this cliff backwards. So I held on for dear life, praying. And all of a sudden, the car came to a stop. And I opened up my eyes, and what had happened was, even though there was no place to turn around, as I went backwards, somehow the car found an open spot, and the car, the rear end of the car went right into this little portion of dirt on the side of the road and came to a stop. And first of all, I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and I got out of the car and I said, how did I keep from going over that cliff? And I put the car in park and went outside and looked, and there was nothing to stop me. I mean, it was just dirt and over the, over the edge. And I'm sure to this day, you cannot convince me otherwise, that an angel stopped my car and saved me from <laughs> being in a kind of a stupid situation, maybe saved my life, uh, saved a lot of damage and injury, and uh, I thank God. I, I looked for physical evidence and there was none. And I said, thank you, Lord, for uh, 
taking care of me. And I know that that was a miracle. And I know that an angel stopped that car and perhaps saved my life. Now, I'm sure that if you think about your life, that there have been times like that that you might want to share with us sometime. But God's sent the angels to protect his people, whether it's in mass killing 185,000 Assyrians or saving you somehow. The third part of the angel's job, not only to be messengers and to protect God's people, is to bring comfort and strength to believers. To bring comfort and strength to believers. I want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. This is the story of Elijah. Of course, he was a prophet, a powerful prophet of God, but he had difficulties. He got depressed and discouraged because sometimes Elijah thought that he was the only one who worshiped God. He was the only one on the whole earth because it seemed that everybody else was an enemy. Everybody was trying to kill him and he was fleeing for his life. All depressed and discouraged and it says in 1 Kings 19 beginning in verse 5, then he, Elijah, lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. You mean to tell me an angel cooked a meal for him? <laughs> That's what the scripture says. He strengthened Elijah by providing food and comfort for him. You know, when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane praying just before his crucifixion, scripture tells us in Luke chapter 22, Jesus knew what was before him the agony, the suffering that he was going to have to endure to pay the penalty for our sins. And he was troubled, just as we would have been troubled at the time. So he was praying to God. He said in verse 42 of Luke 22, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus knew that what he was going to experience dying on the cross was something that had to be done for our sakes. But it says in verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. So what does that mean? Well, we don't know exactly, but the angel strengthened him. So what about us in some of our worst trials that we go through? When we're sitting and maybe praying and crying to God and mourning and whatever else we're going through, the concern and the fear and the doubt that we may have at the time. Does God send angels to us? We may not be even aware of it at the time, but somehow God has given angels the ability to strengthen and encourage and comfort us when we need it most. It also says that Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan, which was a very difficult time for him, uh, our whole salvation you know, was resting on the outcome of this temptation. Satan tried to get Jesus to, to sin and to turn on his father. 
in Matthew 4, verse 11, after the temptations, it says, Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So they serve this purpose for Jesus. They serve this purpose for us. Angels bring comfort and strength to believers. Fourthly, we know that a very big job of the angels is worshiping God. They worship God continually. In fact, in Revelation 4, beginning in verse 6, it says that angels worship God day and night. Now, that means all the time. I don't think that there's day and night in heaven. It's a totally different <laughs> level of experience and existence. Uh, but it's a way of telling us that angels worship God all the time. Revelation 4, verse 6. Also, Jesus, uh, John sees here a vision of heaven. He says, also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and back. First living creature was like a lion and the second like an ox. The third had the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eel. Each of the four living creatures with six wings, covered eyes all around them, even under their wings day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So that's an important job of, of the angels. It goes on to describe how they say in verse 11, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will were they, uh, were they created and have their being. So angels come into God's presence. Their spirit, like God is, and they have the ability to see God, which we don't. And they worship God continually. And like I said, when we worship God, I think that the angels are present to participate in what we do. Because sometimes when we're here, we're a little flock, and we lift up our, our best songs to God. I think that there's actually angels here participating with us and adding to what we have to offer to kind of make it bigger and greater and kind of purify it and make it pleasing to God for all it's worth. So that's something to remember. It's not just a little flock of people here. There are angels here with us. So what have we seen so far? Angels bring messages from God to his people. Angels protect God's people. Angels bring comfort and strength to believers. Angels worship God. And the, the fifth point that I'd like to look at is the fact that angels guide us to our heavenly reward. Angels guide us. In Luke chapter 16, we're all familiar with the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. It's a parable that Jesus uh, teaches here about what happens to Lazarus and this other rich man after they died. And notice what it says in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. So the Bible seems to imply that when we die, 
And you know, our body goes to the grave and our spirit or our soul goes somewhere else. It is the angels who bring that spirit or soul to the presence of God. The angels are responsible for that. And even when Jesus returns, finally we'll look at Matthew 24. So if we're still alive, if we haven't died and our spirit wasn't taken to be with God at our death, we're still alive at Jesus' second coming, the angels are still, still going to be involved. It says in Matthew 24 and verse 30. It says, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he, Jesus, will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds all over the earth, from one end of the heavens to the other. So it's the angels who are going to gather the elect, the believers of Jesus, those born again, to meet Jesus at his second coming. And as another uh, parable says, they're going to separate the tares from the wheat and bring the wheat to Jesus to dwell with him from that point forward. So these are just five responsibilities part of the angel's job description that we read in the Bible. And uh, I'm sure there are many more, but these are five chief ones. So again, we're coming to know why God created these beings. You know, they live in a spirit, spirit realm, which we can't see. You know, like I said, they could be in the room and we're not perceiving them or uh, seeing them. We have God's word to tell us what these beings do, why God created them. And when it comes to God's place of existence, sometimes we think of it as someplace far, far away. But the spirit dimension is up close to us. It's, it's nearby. Uh, we can't cross over into it, but God can cross over into our section of existence, into the physical realm, and angels can too. And thankfully, they are so close by. And they don't necessarily have minds of their own, but they follow God's command. God is in charge. They know that. They're loyal to God. Now, we're going to have one more uh, sermon on this subject next week, all about angels, part three, and talk about a group of angels who, by their free will, chose not to follow God and to submit to him. And it's an unfortunate part of the story, but it is a real part of the story that we need to, to know about and be aware of. So uh, next week, we'll have All About Angels, Part 3. 